and verse 32 is one of the truly great texts of the Bible. It's during the closing days of his life that Jesus actually speaks the words that are recorded there. And what Jesus says is that he says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto myself. Now, it's difficult for us to realize as we look back over 20 centuries. It's difficult for us to realize the tremendous faith that's expressed by this statement. Because we hear these words through the centuries of Christian history that have followed them. But what we need to do is we need to consider those words in the context of the times in which Jesus spoke those words. Because when Jesus spoke those words, there was actually very little evidence to make anyone believe that they would ever come true. Because to those who heard Jesus say it, when He said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto Myself, it seemed the most presumptuous, preposterous, pompous statement that had ever been made. I mean, after all, Jesus was nothing more than an unschooled peasant from an obscure village by the name of Nazareth. Jesus owned nothing, and Jesus had absolutely no political power. He was surrounded by a group of rather unimpressive, though honest, men. And to those critics... Those sitting on the fringes of the audience that day, those words must have sounded quite hollow. Twice earlier in the Gospel according to John, Jesus is quoted as using the expression lifted up. In John 3, verses 14 and 15, Jesus said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now you recognize that. You recognize the reference to Numbers chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. When fiery serpents have moved through the camp of the children of Israel, and those who have been bitten by those fiery serpents and are going to die of their serpent bites, God instructed Moses to create a brazen serpent and lift it up on a pole. And those who looked at that brazen serpent would be healed of their serpent bites. And so Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. One more occasion. Jesus says in John 8, verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall you know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things. I want us to observe something this morning. I want us to observe the cross upon which Jesus was lifted up. The cross was an upright stake with a cross piece. It was employed by the ancient Greeks 
Egyptians and Romans for capital punishment. It was a form of execution reserved for the very vilest of criminals. Actually, the crucifixion has been called through the centuries a slave's punishment. Because in those ancient days, it was used for that class of people. And so the cross actually became an emblem of pain and guilt and shame. In less than a week after uttering that statement, Jesus had been lifted up by His enemies. And it was done in cooperation with the Roman rulers. Mark describes the events of the crucifixion in a very simple but very powerful way. After recounting the infamous betrayal by Judas and the illegal and the unwarranted condemnation by the high priest and his hirelings, Mark continues the story in these words in Mark 15 and verse 22. And they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them what every man should take. And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, And he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross." Likewise also the chief priests, mocking, said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with Him reviled Him. And now Luke picks up the story in Luke chapter 23 and verse 44. And it was about the sixth hour. And there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Thy hands I commend My Spirit. And having said thus, He gave up the ghost. Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly, this was a righteous man. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things that were done, smote their breasts and returned. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. The cross of Christ. That was the central figure of all the ages. The cross of Christ was something that was long foreseen by the prophets. And it was proclaimed as a matter of history by Paul and by 
Philip, by Peter, and by others. During His earthly ministry, as Jesus walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine, Jesus had a magnetic personality. He had a wonderful drawing power. He drew men and women from all walks of life to Himself. There was Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was a woman with, shall we say, a less than sterling reputation. She was a woman that was possessed of devils. Jesus cleansed her. And when Jesus cleansed her, Mary became one of the most loyal followers of Jesus. There was a tax collector by the name of Matthew. He was a publican. He was looked down upon by his contemporaries. He was considered to be the dregs of society. He ranked right down there along with Mary Magdalene. And Jesus was walking by his customs house one day and he said, Matthew, come and follow me. And Matthew left and, and followed him. And Matthew wanted to honor Jesus. And Matthew prepared a feast for him that, that night in, in his home. Well, Matthew was a publican. He was not welcomed in polite society. But he invited his friends. Well, who might his friends have been? They would have been publicans like he was. They would have been no doubt sinners like Mary Magdalene. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't be seen with people like that. No, he didn't. He went to that dinner. The religious people of his day were scandalized by it. They said to the disciples, your master's eating with publicans and sinners. He's eating with all these evil people. And Jesus said, they that be whole don't need a physician. He said, I didn't come to call the pious. I came to the irreligious. And then there was Zacchaeus. He was, wasn't just a publican. He was the chief publican. He was the one that was over all of them. And Jesus was passing through Jericho and He saw Zacchaeus up in that sycamore tree. He said, come down, I want to go home with you. And they went to Zacchaeus' house. I've said so many times before, I, would, I don't know if Zacchaeus was a married man or not. But I would have loved to have heard the conversation that day as Zacchaeus walked in the door with Jesus. He said, honey, I'm home. I brought company for lunch. Can you imagine what her next line was going to be? But Jesus went home with Zacchaeus. And what they talked about, Scripture doesn't tell us. But whatever it was, Zacchaeus' life wasn't ever the same. Because he said, Lord, I'm going to give half of everything I've got to the poor. And if I've taken anything wrongfully from any man, I'm going to restore it back to him fourfold. And Luke tells us he was a rich man. We, he, we weren't talking nickels and dimes here. And there was Peter, the boisterous, bombastic, mercurial fisherman. And his brother Andrew. And his business partners, James and John. Jesus drew all classes of people to Himself. There were the lame and the blind. There were the lepers and 
the others that were blighted by disease and sin, and yet they followed Jesus. And they followed Jesus because of the power that Jesus had to cleanse them and the power that Jesus had to make them whole again. But it wasn't just the poor and it wasn't just the humble that were impressed by Jesus. There were also those in the high ranks of Judaism. You remember a man by the name of Nicodemus? He was a ruler among the Jews. And he came to Jesus by night. And then there was Simon the Pharisee, the one who prepared a feast in honor of Jesus in his home. You see, men like that, they also felt the irresistible magnetism of this humble Galilean, Jesus Christ. And then once he's been lifted up on the cross, once he comes forth victorious over the grave, the influence of Jesus became even greater because the disciples carried the story of Jesus to others. Peter and John were thrown into jail for preaching Jesus. And they said, we can't help but tell the things we've seen and heard. To me, it's thrilling. I can almost, I can almost see Paul and Silas sitting in that jail in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. If the song had been written then, I can just hear Paul and Silas Rodney singing to the top of their lungs, Do you know my Jesus? Have you heard that He loves you? But I'm sure they sang things that were just as thrilling. But to me, it's thrilling to read those stories in the book of Acts about Philip the hitchhiking deacon that's, that joins himself to that chariot of that Ethiopian nobleman. And that Ethiopian nobleman, the man that's the treasurer under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, he's reading from Isaiah's prophecy. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before his share is dumb, so opened he not his mouth. Philip said, do you understand that? He said, how can I understand it unless somebody shows me? And Dr. Luke tells us that Philip began at the same Scripture and he preached to him Jesus. I'd love to have a copy of that sermon. I'd love to know exactly what he said. But Dr. Luke says they came to a certain water. And that eunuch said, there's water. What hinders me to be baptized? Philip said, if you believe, you can. He said, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And they commanded that chariot to stand still. That means they said, whoa. And they got out of that chariot. They went down to that water. Philip and the eunuch, he baptized him. The Bible tells us that the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away. The eunuch didn't see him anymore, and he went on his way rejoicing. Or there's Saul of Tarsus, that brilliant young Pharisee on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He's going to throw them in jail. He's got letters from the chief priests in Jerusalem to do that. And that bright light knocks him to his knees and blinds him. 
And he hears a voice and he doesn't see anyone. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And, and Saul, this young Pharisee, this man who's on a fast track to be something very important in the Pharisee religion, he says, Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And then the very next thing Saul says, What do you want me to do, Lord? He said, You go into the city. It'll be told you what to do. Preacher by the name of Ananias comes, and Ananias says, Saul, Saul, why tarriest thou? Rise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Later, when Saul is telling Agrippa about it, he said, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. Then there's Lydia in Acts chapter 16. The successful businesswoman, Lydia, who comes in and she and her household are worshiping down by the river. And worshiping down there by the river, Paul preaches. And it says the Lord opened her heart. She was attentive to the things that Paul said. And she was baptized. And as Paul and Silas were in that jail in Philippi singing, Do you know my Jesus? The Philippian jailer came in and they baptized Him and all of His house. All of these stories in the book of Acts of people that were drawn to Jesus Christ because disciples of Jesus told them about Jesus Christ. All of these people felt the appeal of the uplifted Jesus. And they responded by letting Jesus Christ change the course than the tenor of their lives. They had the desire to wear His name. They had the desire to be His followers. And throughout all the 20 centuries since then, men and women of every walk and station in life have felt that same wonderful appeal of Jesus Christ. There have been emperors like Constantine and Napoleon They've worn His name and they've paid tribute to His influence. Now we can read their story and we might wish that they had been more deeply converted to Christ. But it's at least a tribute to the magnetic power of Jesus that they were drawn to Him. A power that caused men of such a vocation to feel His influence. Now I want you to think about this. In His power to draw men and women, Jesus Christ missed no one. There have been emperors and there have been slaves. There have been rich people and there have been poor people. There have been old people and young people. People that were white and black and brown and red and yellow. People that were businessmen and statesmen. Architects and builders, artists and poets. He missed no one. There's a very familiar and moving passage. It's been around a long time, and that famous author unknown described Jesus in these words. Here is a man who was born in an obscure village, and that a despised one. He worked in a carpenter shop for... Thirty years, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. 
He never put his foot inside a really big city. He never traveled except in his infancy more than 200 miles from the place that he was born. While he was still a very young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. And he was nailed on a cross between two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth. His seamless robe. When he was dead, he was taken down from the cross and laid in a borrowed grave through the courtesy of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone. And today Jesus is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of all human progress. I am well within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever ruled put together have not affected the life of man on this earth like this one solitary personality. All time dates from His birth. And it's impossible to understand or interpret the progress of human civilization in any nation on earth apart from His influence. Slowly, through the ages, man is coming to realize that the greatest necessity in the world is not water, iron, gold, food, clothing, or even nitrate in the soil but rather Christ enshrined in human hearts, thoughts, and motives. Through the years, not everyone has accepted the call of Jesus. Some folks have been blinded by the glamour of this world. And having done that, they turned deaf ears to Jesus. There have been others that were so steeped in sin, they were totally insensitive to His appeal. But here's the fact. Jesus died for all men and all women of all time. And Jesus has called all men and all women of all time to come to Him. And wherever folks are willing to give Jesus a hearing, He's drawn them to Himself. Jesus Christ calls to us today. Jesus Christ wants to be the Lord and the Master of our lives. We allow Jesus to be Lord and Master of our lives by believing in Him with all of our heart, by turning our back on sin through repentance, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of past sins. And that begins the process of Jesus being Lord and Master of our lives. But here's the thing. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Now's the opportunity to make changes if changes need to be made as we stand and while we sing.